This is Rockin' Vino, the podcast about wine and music and how the two go so well together. Find new episodes every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever podcasts are offered. Find the show online at rockinvino.com and on social media at rockinvino. It is Rockin' Vino, the second week of, uh, of our Shelter in Place episodes here. Uh, dialing in from wherever we can, getting... Uh, Getting the, getting the show back on the air here. It, week, who knows how many of uh, of our new shelter in place reality here in California and across uh, across the country here. But uh, we wanted to dig deeper into uh, how it's affecting. Last week we talked about wineries and and the ways that the wineries are adapting. This week uh, we talk uh, we talk restaurants and we bring in uh, one of our longtime favorites. Uh, joined us a, a few months back here to talk about some. Uh, Things he had going on, and he he joins us again. He is Douglas Keen. Uh, thank thank you so much for uh, for taking some time to come back with us. Hey, my pleasure. How are you? Doing well. So let's uh, uh, you let's. You guys are both staying safe. Absolutely. <laughs> as yeah, best definitely we can. sheltering in place, good. hanging out. Good. Got stocked up on groceries, not on toilet paper, but I'm good. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> Oh, let's uh, let's start. Uh, let's start with you. How how are you hanging in with the restaurant? How are you hanging in personally? How have the last uh, last few weeks been for you uh, in in managing all this? Yeah, I mean, overall, I feel pretty lucky. Um, and we, obviously, we live in the most beautiful place in the country, and you know, it's the it's just a special place to be. Um, it, it's been stressful from a professional side. Um, you know, the restaurants are, we closed both restaurants. Um, we, there was kind of an ethical, uh, moral issue that I thought about. You know, there, there's a financial side to it that I didn't see working very well. Um, I thought maybe maybe as a community service, but the financial side just wasn't there to stay open and stake out. But then there was also, I was just really struggling with how to, like, make these make the employees come in and be exposed to more people and more issues, deliveries and guests and things like that. I just decided it wasn't worth it. So, you know, we, we, we just closed both places. We closed Roadhouse, we closed uh, HBG, and um, we'll see what happens. You know, we're just kind of waiting like everyone else. Everyone's pretty much in the same boat. Now, once we've seen over the past few days that, you know, all the talk now is, you know, when, when, a, when, when do things get opened up? When do they get turned back on? Uh, it, it leaves a lot of questions for restaurants. Uh, how, you know, as a restaurant owner, what, what are you thinking about? What are the kinds of things you're worrying about as these things are being talked about? You know, it's funny. Um, not funny, but funny haha, I guess. Uh, it's, it's. I've been thinking about these things for a while, to be honest with you, because at its core, and like, I, I want to thread this needle very gently because I don't want to um, alienate or upset anyone. Because the industry is really hurting right now, and it needs help. No matter what I'm about to say, it needs help, and the people that work in it need help. And we need to get we need to get through this. But in general, before this even happened, the industry at, at its core. Uh, there's, there's a good level of dysfunction. Um, if you take the small profit margins that are normal in this industry that aren't normal in any other industry, you don't, you don't find other industries that have 10% or 20% in good months. You find industries that don't do business if they're not going to hit 40 or 50% profitability. Um, so you take an industry with small profit margins, but you add into that really 
low wages, even at a living wage, uh, is a $15 or $17, um, people can barely afford to live on that. But then you have these high labor costs because you have so many people you need to do this work. So, you know, to me, I've always been working, looking to the new model, one, how to pay people better, but two, doing with less people. And I think that that's really what you're going to see. I mean, the, the, the industry is, is a little bit broken in general. This is just going to kind of crush it. And it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't have a crystal ball to see how it's going to work out after this, but it's going to be a very, very different industry. And in some ways it should. Now, I just want to reiterate, that doesn't lessen that everyone needs help right now just from a humanitarian level. Um, that we, the government needs to do some stuff, the counties, the states, everyone needs to chip in and make sure that the people that lost their jobs or, or don't get them again are on their feet. But the industry actually needs to kind of take a look at itself, the hospitality, the restaurant industry, and kind of address some of these pretty core issues, in my opinion. In, in a lot of ways, you kind of jumped out ahead of this with what you're doing at Roadhouse 29. Uh, is that kind of model for staffing going to be the way a lot of restaurants have to go? I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, it seems to me logical, like in my head, the way I work it out is you've got to pay people. So we're, we're, we're at around 25 bucks an hour there, um, front and back. And we, we've kind of mashed both of them together. Um, at HBG, we started doing a living wage a while ago for the back of house people. But the, 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 I, I think, yes, I, the short answer is I think you're going to have to find, you have to run with leaner bodies. And you also have to um, run with paying people higher. So that the only way to do that is to get more efficient technology in your kitchens and in your restaurants to cross-train people. It's really hard, though. Um, it's hard to change culture in the middle. So, like, you know, for me to go into HVG right now and to change the culture completely, almost not, not impossible, but there's a huge learning curve. But with doing the new Cyrus, the model that we're working on, the staffing model, where we're going to try to pay people a really high salary and have, instead of having 50 employees, we're going to have 20 to 25 employees. And, that, and we're going to basically pay almost the same wages total, but we're going to actually try to keep that profitability even higher, but we're going to actually have less bodies. So that, that's the way we're going to do it, that model. Uh, you're able to do different things in a place like Cyrus because you can, you can control the menu. You can kind of dictate the experience. But... You know, I think you're going to see a lot more of this. You're going to see a lot more restaurants cut out certain things. You're going to see less service steps, less touches at the table. Um, you've already seen things disappear over time, like tablecloths at even high-end restaurants. And that's because people don't want to pay the money to have those tablecloths cleaned. You're going to see more self-ordering kiosks at casual places, either like bars and grills or cafes, where people order at the table or order at a counter. And everything starts going to get cut down. It's now going to happen because labor is such an issue. And it's, it's really hard to reboot. Like, like I was saying, the profit margins are small. It's hard to get a restaurant going, but then to, to get kicked like this, I mean, just smack dab in the nuts as hard as you can by this pandemic and shutting the entire economy down. It's really hard to pick up and reopen again. You won't see a lot of yeah. restaurants reopen. Gavin Newsom, he, you know, kind of is trying to tell all the restaurants when you do reopen, like take out the take out some tables, take out some bar stools to kind of um, keep the the social distancing in place. Do you think that's a realistic way for for restaurants to operate? No, I think it's a, a realistic way to think and to approach it, to try to solve a problem from a health standpoint, because I get it, but no fucking way. I mean, you take out 50% of tables, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. I, I get the logic behind it, 
you might as well get rid of 50% of restaurants and mm-hmm. just let the ones that survive. You know, and I know that doesn't make any logical sense about the spacing issues, but I mean, think about restaurants trying to pack in people. Uh, they, like they constantly want to turn tables and turn them over. So now you're going to take. So what are we supposed to do? Double our prices? You're going to pay thirty six dollars for the hamburger? Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't work. Does it? Does it work for maybe a short time? And maybe for paying bills and just squeaking by, it might do it just to keep some productivity going and some economy moving and people with jobs. But you're not going to own a business. You know, I had a restaurant called Chima for a while in Healdsburg. It, it, we, we we weren't successful there. And when we when we kind of figured out the right model of like it should be a noodle joint, casual, we 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 started to get some better business traffic. But we realized that we were basically just breaking even. We were opening a business just to like keep employees. Uh, occupied and that there's no long term to that so if you're talking about taking some tables out for a few months yeah you know what everyone's going to kind of deal with that if you're talking like 18 to 24 months there's going to have to be some back-end support you know what i think Mm -hmm. is sort of an odd part of it is I, i think by nature if you're going out to a restaurant you're generally going with people who aren't necessarily in your household so it, it almost—I it, feel like in some ways it, d- it defeats the purpose of, you know, taking out half the tables if you're going there with other people anyways to interact. That I—I I don't know if there is a balance to strike with that or, or what how that plays into it. But uh, it, it's—I mean—it's an odd thing for sure. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think first and foremost, you got to make people healthy and safe, right? So Absolutely. I get—I get why we're having these conversations. Um, and I think the, I think Governor Newsom's doing a great job. Um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think we're lucky to have him right now, to be honest. Um, but I think that if you know, there's also a uh, an atmosphere concept. Like I, I've had restaurants that weren't busy. I've been in restaurants where I actually love restaurants that are empty, just because I'm weird. I, I, I socially distance <laughs> my entire life. But I, you know, if you walk, you ask most people, like you know, come in. Uh, to a restaurant and it's not full, they think there's something wrong with it because there's not an energy. There's also like, there's an energy and an atmosphere to a busy restaurant. That's going to change. And people aren't going to really know what they're not happy about, what they're not liking, but it's just going to change the business. Now, if you're talking for a couple months, sure, everyone's got to grin and bear it, but a long-term solution is just not possible. Now, you've been, uh, we talked last week to the uh, Sonoma County Vintners, how they're doing a lot of things. A lot of things are moving virtual, whether it's uh, virtual tastings, uh, virtual wine experiences, things like that. Uh, is that is that something that you've gotten into? Is is that a different space for you, the the, uh, the virtual oh, chef? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a very different space. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I... I, I I like to teach cooking. I actually really love to teach it. Um, but it's, it's kind of like being there and showing someone how to, when to sear the scallop or flip the piece of fish or how to touch the meat while it's resting. And, and, and like, what's the difference between a caramelized shallot and a burnt shallot? Um, to me, that's, uh, that, that's, that's to me what, like, is the fun about it. So virtual is really hard to kind of get around. But, yeah, I've been doing it a little bit. Um, I've been I've been doing it online with Jesse Katz and I did a virtual tasting the other day and today we actually a uh, really cool concept but I think I'm gonna push out a little bit more. I did a virtual cooking class with a uh, a writer from uh, Chicago. She's I think she's writing for the Times or I'm not really sure exactly which one this this, this publication is for. But um, she told me what was in her pantry and what she was shopping for 
and we got to, I gave her like a little bit of prep the day before, and then today we got on FaceTime and uh, we worked through a few dishes, and I was able to walk her through like certain parts of it and how to adjust the seasoning. It, it was kind, it was kind of rewarding. And then Jesse came on <laughs> after we did our cooking, and he talked about the wine pairing, and we all kind of talked about food and wine. So it was, yeah, it was rewarding, and I think. Um, it feels good to kind of just do something, to be honest, and to be useful. And I make dinner, so it's nice to help people make dinner. So I think what I'm going to do is roll it out a little bit. And um, I was trying to think the best way to do it, but I think I'm just going to ask for people online, like Twitter or Instagram, to ask me if, if they want to learn how to cook something or if they want to know what's in their pantry. I'm going to do a couple of virtual cooking classes for free. And at some point, I'd love them just to donate to a food pantry because I, I don't want it just to make it a thing where it's a lot of money. Someone has to pay for it. I want to, I want to actually kind of help someone. So I'm going to kind of announce that tomorrow online, I think. That, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Is, just keep them busy. You know? Absolutely. I, I feel like that's, <laughs> it's, if nothing else, it's, you know, it's, you know, things for people to consume, to do if, you know, if they're unemployed, if they, you know, if they're stuck at home and, you know, just can't get out. So even if it doesn't become a trend that necessarily continues, just it's a a way of coming together, I guess, through shared, uh, shared experience, I guess is a way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's like so cool that you did that too, because it's kind of innovative. It's different from what I've seen anybody else do. I mean, they're not, necessarily like these chefs are amazing but they're not necessarily making themselves as accessible as that like facetiming you know a michelin rated chef to have him help you create a dish in your own home via facetime like how cool is that that's so rad uh thanks yeah it's fun I mean, i've got a little secret tricks i can teach everyone smashing garlic <laughs> and how to how to pit an avocado without cutting yourself you know <laughs> <laughs> all good tools valuable to stuff <laughs> Pearls. Now, I'm giving pearls. Now you have a few uh, a few other things you're doing with Jesse, uh, another form uh, uh, Rock and Vino alum here, uh, Jesse Katz. Mm-hmm. What, what other uh, projects do you have coming up here in the next couple weeks? Um, well, we're just going to do a couple. We did a um, we did a recipe together with, or that's not true. I did the recipe. He did the <laughs> wine. Uh, we, we, we stayed in our lane, um, and we actually uh, put it out there for. Um, Consumption. He sold some wine out of it, and we donated, uh, I think, 30% of the proceeds to Corazon to help feed people at this time. And he's actually done it. It's still running on through his website, through Aperture. We put out a bunch of email blasts, and I actually talked to him a few minutes ago, and it's, uh, he sold quite a few sets. So it's, it's you know, we're, we're all trying to do something, you know. It's hard. You, you, like, you run this, you run this, the economy's dead, and we, none of us are really making any money. So it's like, do we make money, or do we just kind of help out right now? And, I think, I think the thing is to help out if you can right now. Yeah. And so with Jesse, I mean, um, with Aperture Sellers, um, kind of describe that connection that Cyrus and that you have um, with Jesse and Aperture Sellers that kind of created this partnership that you guys are working on. Well, Jesse and I have known each other for a while. We, we've actually, he, he lives out here, or he used to live right out here where I live. Um, so we've, we've known each other for quite a long time and see each other on a friendly basis. But, um, 
his vineyard that he he gets, does his Oliver Estate Cabernet for Aperture. It is the vineyards are actually at the new Cyrus that we're building or that's built, but we're going to remodel and open. <laughs> so he was pretty much the. I mean, I knew Steve Oliver who owns the building from before, but Jesse was really impetus to get us back together um, and to get us the space that we're going to be uh, launching Cyrus in. So we have lots of connections. So I'll probably be pouring awesome. that wine unless it gives me. Unless he gives me shitty pricing. <laughs> <laughs> now, we had, last time we had you on, uh, we talked about Cyrus, and uh, I, we had talked after the episode was over, and I had said, there's no way this project is done. I, I saw the way you, that you, you talked about it and had such a passion for it, and you, you could tell that it, it was just it was something that you were going to make see the light of day one way or another. And uh, as of the last uh, last couple months here, that that's reality with uh, the new Cyrus and Geyserville. So uh, tell us a little bit about what the plans are there and and how that's come together so far. I'm one stubborn fucking Taurus Irishman. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that on uh, a podcast, right? Oh, bonus yeah, points. Yeah, you are good. <laughs> Drop as many f bombs um, as you want, no problem. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you know, it, I, I did give up on it. Uh, it was it was a brutal uh, roller coaster for us not to be able to pull off what we were doing out in the tribal land. And uh, honestly, if it wasn't this building that Steve Oliver built, I had seen it before, and then it wasn't available at one point in time. And then he called me and said it was available. Was I interested? I said no. I'm done. Come on, let's talk. I went and talked. I sat in the building again. I said, God damn it, this is like a perfect place. <laughs> Uh, it really is. It's exactly what I want. It's modern. It's glass. It's stone. It's hovered above the vineyards. It's remote but accessible. It's in downtown Geyserville, but you don't know it's 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 not not, not there's anything wrong with being in downtown. But like I always wanted to be secluded in the vineyards, and it's so hard to find with the zoning out here. And this is mm-hmm. the spot zoning that's perfect for it. So it's just a dream, and it's built. It's a, it's 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 a decent sized space, and because of our unique concept of where we're doing a journey uh, through different rooms, that you actually need more space than you would expect. So this works out just just perfectly. So we're working with the, the same architects we worked before with Olsen Kundig, who are a genius. We're working with Andy Cochran on the landscape, and um, it's just absolutely perfect. I mean, I got to say, when that last interview we had with you when you left, I could see just um, – I was, like, sad that, like, that dream had kind of, like – been kiboshed by like the investors not you know coming through and all that stuff so i was super sad and i was like dude this has to happen and then i was you know of course like so excited to see that it did um and then your vision for the new cyrus um can you kind of walk us through like what the guest experience will be like because it sounds really interesting with all the different rooms having kind of a, a different theme how does how does that work or how will that work yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's all in theory tied to the original Cyrus, but it, that, that restaurant was, um, it was kind of everything we had seen before at other places we'd either worked or visited and did our little tweak on it, right? Like we had a cheese cart that we'd done before. We had a champagne cart that I saw. And I wanted this restaurant to be completely unique, yet not so different that it would, you wouldn't know what it was or it was too out there to scare people, but it's always tied to substance and style which I think is the two tenets of hospitality. It's got to taste good. It's got to look good. It's got to smell good. It's got to feel good. It's got to have both substance and style. It can't just be fancy and pretty and not taste good. It, it's, you know, can't, can't just taste good and be ugly. And so that, to me, is how we do everything. So we start um, just like you would at someone's home. You walk in, and the first part of the journey is in the bubbles room where you're having little sips and bites. 
and you get in the canapes, the sweet, sour, salt, bitter, and umami canapes that we used to do at the first Cyrus, and you're just kind of taking in the views. You don't even know the experience has begun yet. Um, and that's the start of the meal. And then from there, there's also a lounge, a, a bar lounge, our old Cyrus bar. We'll, we'll do a similar concept where people can just come in and not do the whole journey experience. So they can come in and hang out, kind of our outreach to the locals, which, which was really great at the first Cyrus. And we're looking forward to welcoming them back. So you don't have to go in for the, full, the whole full dining experience, come and have a drink or a bite and just hang out in the bar, which will kind of be very close to the Bubbles area. But after you go through Bubbles, then you walk into the chef's table, which is, uh, for lack of a better word, like a, a high-end sushi counter where there's 12 people seated around. And we're in there. You're basically in the kitchen, even though it's a little bit more finessed area. And we're there cooking in front of you raw fish and shellfish and vegetables and light, light steamed preparations. And we're, but we're working with you and we're talking to you and we're explaining things. So it's part cooking class, part uh, second part of the dining experience. And then from there, we're going to move you out into the dining room. And the dining room is more traditional where everyone will like if you, if you guys came together, you would have been with 10 other people, but now you're breaking off to your own table. And it'll be more entree-like and, and uh, more of a traditional dining room where we'll do the last few courses, and then we'll put a dessert or two down in front of you. And then after that, instead of doing a candy cart like we used to in Little Mignardis. I was going to ask you about the candy with, cart. <laughs> yeah, we decided. So, you know, the interesting thing, and this is one of my philosophies, is we used to bake like 10 little breads. And we used to do like 20 little candies. And, and people like both of those aspects. But I also realized that like the bang for the buck and the amount of labor that goes into all that, like we basically built a $500,000 bread kitchen at the first Cyrus after we were open a few years. And we paid someone 16 hours a day to staff it to make 10 little perfect breads twice a night. And we basically gave them away for free, right? Because we didn't charge for bread. And like, it's not a great model. And the, the thing is, you need great bread, but you can do that in one or two small steps. Same thing with the candies. We don't need to do 20 different candies. We just need to do, I'm going to do five perfect ones. So after you, you had the five canapes in the beginning, you're going to get up uh, and leave dinner, and you're going to go back into a chocolate room. And mm. it's going to be flowing walls of chocolate. It's going to be if the Michelin man... And Willy Wonka had a love child. This would be this would be love the it. creation of that love child. And out of the walls are going to appear uh, one chocolate or one candy at a time that, that resembles sweet, sour, salt, bitter, and umami to bring you back to the beginning of the journey. And so it's all kind of tied together, and it kind of has a theme. Now I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you have this all planned out, but I'll, I'll sort of ask what your mindset is behind it. I mean, in a Dining experience, it's pretty unorthodox to where you're in, you're eating in multiple places as opposed to just everyone around one table. Uh, how do you plan to sort of make those transitions natural to sort of naturally flow from one setting to the other? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, it comes from two. It, it comes from two concepts or two two experiences I've had. One, I spent a lot of time in Kyoto eating in uh, these great kaiseki restaurants. And they're centuries old, and they've been handed down to families, and they're basically different rooms that you rent out for the evening, and you're in there for three or four hours and having one of these beautiful traditional kaiseki menus. And they're, they're very much like a tasting menu. They're probably like the first tasting menu where it's a you know, degustation of different courses, but there's multiple and small little bites. But you're in there for like four hours, right? And throughout that, they would tell me about the other rooms in the house, with these beautiful pieces of art or tapestry or, or a sculpture, and, and, but you would never see those because some other party rented them for the night, right? And I, was, I, I started to think, like, well, you know what? Like, 
what if I could move you to those other rooms and you could actually see the beautiful art or the views, the different views with the way the sunlight turns to the moon on the vines. And so it started to percolate in me. And then the other thing was people are a little bit resistant to like a four-hour dying experience, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not completely resistant, but they've become not wanting to sit at the same place for four hours. But up here in wine country, they come for their entertainment as dinner. And so I said, you know, what if I could and, – and, and this whole Internet experience where people, like, delete, they all alt out, they go to the next site, they, they click out. And so, like, everyone's mind frames vary about, like, what's next, what's next, what's next. And I, I was like, if I gently pick you up every 45 minutes and move you to another place that's beautiful and inspiring, I'm going to captivate your attention still. And it's unique, and it's one of a kind, and that's, that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to create something different. It also helps me staff it differently. My staffing model is completely different while we're, we're combining the back and the front of house where everyone's going to be trained to do both jobs so that we can have uh, vacation. People can take vacations one week in the summer with their kids. When they have school, they can make $70,000 a year. Um, they can have sick days where it doesn't hurt people, which is just not normal in the industry unless you're at a big kind of big box chain type of thing. So we're really going to try to do it with a small staff extremely well-trained and fluent so that one day you might be cooking dinner or cooking the grill station, but the next week you might be out in the lounge serving caviar. Wow. That's amazing. So you're going to cross train all of your employees to kind of like suit all the needs of, of the guests. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to know, you're going to, I mean, you know, there'll be like myself and Drew as the chefs and probably a pastry person. And then Nick and the sommelier will be, you know, we'll have set, couple people but everything else you know like the other 20 people or 18 people will be interchangeable from front and back wow that's amazing it, that's... It's, it's an investment in training in the beginning because in theory we'll probably be hiring people that are more suited to cooking and helping them serve uh, but that doesn't mean we want to hire servers and teach them how to cook as well I mean, we talked about all the changes that are going to be on the way for the restaurant industry. I mean, it it seems like your model here, both on the staffing side and the guest side, uh, is very suited to sort of where things are going uh, as we get back going. Yeah, I've been been thinking about the concept for a while as to what makes sense. This is this is highlighting it. I've been kind of preaching this to the choir about the industry. I I think I told you before I was writing a book. I finished it. uh, Culinary leverage. Uh, billionaires, puppy dogs, and red wine risotto. And part of this book <laughs> is about the brokenness of the industry. And I kind of address this in the book. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the book. So how, how far along with you are on the book, and, um, and when can we expect to see that? Um, it is the manuscript's done. Um, I worked with an editor out of uh, the East Coast, uh, Megan Davis-Hill, who was phenomenal. She helped me very much. She, she was uh, patient with my boss at the times and was a good editor. Um, and we just uh, are talking to the literary agents right now, and then uh, we'll see. Who knows? They may buy it. They may not. They may use it for toilet paper since there's a run on it. Um, <laughs> who knows? But it's um, about 72,000 words. Uh, three six chapters and it it starts uh, basically my time in Detroit goes through uh, basically right now. Nice. And where do the puppy about... dogs fit into this whole thing here? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. Where do the puppy dogs fit in with this whole thing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say is it's it's a story of my whole life and how animals have been 
kind of there for me and kind of kept me from going pretty low and pretty dark at times. And um, I tell some of the story through the certain dogs, like uh, Maxie was my first dog, and Lola was the one when I opened Cyrus, Finnegan was the one, and Cash. Uh, I, I tell stories to the dogs and the animals about how it's kind of saved me at times. It's a tough industry, and there's struggles. There, 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 there's a pretty dark look at myself in the industry. Um, it's really kind of calling out like the ugliness that I've seen in the industry. When I got into it, it was really about, or at least I think it was, about cooking to make people happy because I, I felt I was good at it and I really got that, that energy when I saw someone enjoy my meal or being a part of a place that cooked a great meal. Like I loved that. And at some point it switched to being about celebrities and stars and ratings and, and, and things like that, and I'm not sure... It was just me. I think it's the industry, too. And so I, I wanted to take a look at that um, and where I've gotten. And, and hopefully with this new model, uh, kind of not care about what the ratings and the people say, the stars and the reviews and stuff like that, and just worry about cooking to make people happy and giving people a great place to work. That's really what I'm hoping. And the animals have just always been there. I just say I like people. I like animals more than I like people. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you, uh, you kind of have worked with um... – one of the local animal rescues um, at Hill at Hillsburg Barn Grill, right, um, to kind of help support them and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. We, we work with Green Dog Rescue quite a bit. Colleen Combs, uh, I, I actually helped her co-found it, um, but she does all the heavy lifting now. I kind of help her raise money. But yeah, uh, we do a bunch of work for them. We we try to uh, raise money. They're such a great one of the first no uh, kennel uh, facilities in America, and she's teaching kind of a great ethos about how shelters really should be run so yeah we usually do our green dog rescue uh drink for the dogs event on st patrick's day but unfortunately uh we fell victim to covid19 this year and had to cancel at the eighth or ninth year depending on who you talk mm. to <laughs> now as we uh as we get close to wrapping up here we're going to hit sort of an uncertain time here for restaurants. You've worked in a, a, so many different restaurant settings. What would be your advice to, you know, other restaurant owners as to, to what they should do to get ready for the, you know, the coming weeks and months ahead? Oh God. Uh, um, I'm not so sure I have all the answers. I've had, a, I've had successes and failures, but I would say um, one, take care of your, your employees, like, like gold as much as you can right now because you can't do anything without them. And then uh, you're going to have to find ways to be efficient. And efficiency means actually, like, you know, there's a good amount of turnover in the, in the business. So at some point, figure out how to do it with one or two less bodies when, you, when someone leaves and figure out that, how, how to, and, and you're going to have to engage with your guests to talk to them about the changes that are happening. Guests are going to have to change too. Their expectations are going to have to change for a while. You're not going to have 30 different things to choose from and you're not going to get as many steps from a waiter and everyone's going to have to be okay with that. And so I think there's just a lot of communication, a lot of efficiency. Um, I would, I would look to using technology more in the kitchens with sous vide cooking, with uh, combi ovens, rationales, and blodgets and things like that that can produce a lot of food really well. But you know, where I can cook, you know, two or three things at a time, a sous vide machine could cook a hundred things and do it perfectly. And so you need to kind of start looking at that type of stuff and figuring out how to make sense. And we probably need help from the county or the state to allow that to be easier to use. Right now you need this brutal HACCP plan to do stuff like that, but they're going to have to ease up some of those restrictions and set the guidelines themselves versus making us do it. But I think efficiency and technology uh, and, and really looking out for your staff. Excellent. Well, it's uh 
be an interesting time ahead, but also a lot to look forward to. Uh, we have the book on the way. We'll see how, how Cyrus comes along. Don't forget about Hillsburg Bar and Grill, Roadhouse 29. Uh, lots of lots of things to support, lots of things to check out. And uh, Douglas Keene, thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming on with us. Thank you guys for doing this still during this time. I know you guys have places to be, too, and people to take care of. Yeah, thank you so much. And we're so excited for, for everything uh, that's on the on the future for you. Thanks. Maybe we'll come back when the book actually gets released. Yeah, that'd Perfect. be amazing. I'd love to read it. <laughs> awesome. Right thank Th- you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, for those of uh, of you paying attention, and more more than I thought, uh, know the fun story behind this episode. <laughs> so, well, when we went to go listen to it, it started out fine, and then yeah. then yeah. it got all all jumbled jumbled up. Yeah. So we we, uh, we brought. Uh, chef on with us early in the week uh, to talk about these topics and it was a great show it was just it was so good it was so good (laughs) and it was on a tuesday we go live on a tuesday just popped it right on the website that all right good to go nice quick turnaround okay that night i think oh this is a good one i'm gonna sit down and listen to this one and right before I did, uh, somebody commented on the Instagram post, and I was like, uh, I think your audio is broken. And, uh, yeah. So, we, so, but it was great, though. Doug was able and willing to come back on with ab- us absolutely. and record. So, I mean, he's, he's that guy's super rad. He's one of my favorite absolutely. people ever. One of the best out there. He, I, if, if it was anyone but him, I would have been worried to ask. He didn't. He, he got back in less than two minutes. I was like, sure, what do you need, when? And uh, <laughs> totally understood. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yes, it, it, still a very good show. So good times. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm super excited for everything that's um, that's coming for him. I mean, it's all very well deserved. Super soaked that Cyrus is actually happening. Um, I hope all of his investors continue to um, support him and, and make that happen. And if for some reason, something happens there. I hope the community uh, rallies and supports him and makes that happen because it's really going to be this. Um, I mean, just hearing him talk about how the experience is going to be is just absolutely phenomenal. And I feel like that's what we need right now. That's kind of the experiences and that out, out of box thinking is um, is going to propel the the restaurant industry forward. You know, I mean, it's obviously that's not going to be in every single space, but there's a time and a place for every type of experience. But I mean, he's really, he's really being innovative with how um, he's going to staff the restaurant, how it's going to operate, what the experience for the guests is going to be. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. What I think he does really well is connects his concept to how it impacts the customer and how it impacts his staff. And I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of restaurants that maybe have are very high concept and have these crazy designs and things, but they don't necessarily connect it to, you know, how the the customer takes in the meal or how it impacts their staff. And he, he's just got all that thought out. I mean, you can tell in listening to the way he speaks about Cyrus or Healdsburg Bar and Grill, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it just everything is interconnected, and it, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and of course, with the the circumstances that we're in now, with the sheltering in place, and then the social distancing and whatnot, and um, just as he said, just the overall. Um, overall how like restaurants function and operate is going to have to change so that they can sustain and survive. So it sounds like 
what he has planned and what he had planned before all this even happened is really the way to go. So I think he should bundle that up into a little package and send it off to fellow people and, and have them kind of follow, follow his lead. Absolutely. It's uh, a crazy time ahead for restaurants, a crazy time ahead for everyone, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a few a few cool shows coming up. We don't often get the chance to pre-promote things in the future, but hey, hey, it worked. Uh, we're going to be looking at how uh, music festivals are impacted by the mm. virus and social distancing. And when are we going to see a music festival again? Uh, which or apparently is going to be a long in general, right? Concerts in general, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, and what that's going to look like, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get the band back together and uh, and <laughs> talk about that one. And uh, also, uh, the fine folks at Kendall Jackson are going to come on with us, and they've got uh, they've got some cool ways in which they're adapting and getting getting wine to people and connecting with people. So we'll we'll connect with them as well. Yeah, very exciting things coming up for for uh, the world and for Rock and Vino. <laughs> Absolutely. Until next week. All right. Until next week. Thanks, everybody.